been looking at this book of Acts, of course, and um, and we know that it's, uh, what kind of a book is it? History. history book. And the first couple of chapters, we're looking at this history that, that uh, Luke writes, uh, which is a continuation of his gospel, uh, that the two are just tied right together. Um, and... And we see that it's the church history, and we've been saying, and I kind of like this, uh, somebody said a couple of weeks ago, that it's our history. Because it is. Because who's the church? We're the church. And so, uh, and, and, I, and I love the fact that um, history matters, doesn't it? Because well, why does history matter? Why is history important? Why does... And very specifically, why should our church history matter to us as we sit here today? Gives a better understanding. Better understanding. It shows us clearly what what God has been doing. Yeah, that's that's good. What else? It's what? Clearly, and we're going to see that tonight in a big way. This is the truth and it is it is in its unabridged edition here it is we have it written for us by God's design he gave us the history of the church for foundational purposes because it's truth it's all based on truth and as we look at the early church and we see the other writings of the New Testament Paul which wrote a, a number of these letters we see that he was having to deal with untruth, right? And that hasn't changed, has it? <laughs> it? Some things just don't change. So we see that there was one very important truth, one very important action, the very first action of the church, which was their obedience. They were obedient. And so, just by way of reviewing the first church, when there were the the twelve, actually the eleven, they hadn't become the twelve yet. They were the eleven, and they were there with Christ when he was when when he was glorified and he ascended, and he gave them a command right then and there to go and wait, right? And that's exactly what they did. Without, I love the part. I, this part has been really resonating with me over the last several weeks, and that is there was no question. They didn't have the questions like I have. Okay, so, so Lord, you want me to do this. You've commanded me to do this. And uh, I'm an analytical, so I like to dive in. And give me the why, for, how, come, what, what does it mean? And I, you know, I tend to want to tear all of that apart analytically. I'm not a, I don't have a big problem with being obedient as a general rule, sometimes even in my disobedience. But, but I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a like, like and need to know kind of guy. But none of them were. They just went. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay. They just watched the risen Christ ascend into heaven. Of course they said okay. <laughs> I mean, like, what choice did they have? Yeah. See, that's foundational. That's truth, isn't it? I love that. It's truth. It's foundational. And we also see, by way of review, that word unhindered. <laughs> We're going to start seeing tonight the acts of the apostles. The actions that they started taking. And we often see this book or this letter called the Acts of the Apostles because they took action, didn't they? The first action they took was to be obedient and go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. 
without having a clue what was going to happen next. That's obedience. Scary stuff. But that's trust and faith. And they did it. But they did it, and they, they were then unhindered. But with thank you for your prayer to open us tonight, because they did it, and they did it together, and they did it with obstacles and difficulties, but to glorify God. Their unhindrance didn't mean that they weren't having difficulties. It meant that unhindered means that the gospel was going to go forth unhindered. Okay? And he was going to be using them. We saw that they filled that 12th position, didn't they? By casting lots. And we, and we know why they did that. We know how they did that. And then we saw what the outcome of their obedience was. And we can't miss this. 120 people went back to Jerusalem without asking any questions to be totally obedient. And they waited and they were told that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And they didn't have a clue what that even meant. They didn't have the slightest idea. They couldn't read about it. They couldn't ask anybody about it. Jesus had gone. And so they waited and then, bam, it happened at Pentecost. They were spirit-filled and then, boy, did things break loose or what? <laughs> Tongues. Boy, and we've been debating that one since the day the Spirit, by virtue of the noise that was blowing in that room, <laughs> and the fiery tongues came upon them. Uh, boy, we've been dealing with that one ever since as a church, haven't we? Because it's challenging. It's challenging. And then we see Peter's leadership. What did Peter do? He gave the first sermon. And, and what was important about that first sermon? He preached the gospel. It was Jesus. See, Pete, and we're going to see a second sermon tonight. And you want to, anybody have a guess what he was preaching in his second sermon? Jesus. <laughs> his death, his burial, his resurrection, his glorification, the full authenticity of who Jesus is. Okay, that's what he's going to preach again. We're going to see that tonight. And we see that that, sim that, that sermon, Wes, was simple. Yes. <laughs> it was a simple sermon, and it was a what we would consider today... Not then so much, but today we would say it was biblical, and of course it was clearly Christ-centered. Foundational, foundational, foundational to our history and who we are as the church. And so we see that first church was born, and those 120 were obedient. The Spirit came on them. Peter preaches, 3,000 come to Christ. All of a sudden, there's 3,120 people, by biblical accounts, in the very first church. And after the first sermon, one sermon... One sermon. Okay. One altar call. One baptism. One day. 3,120 people. We're going to see another group come as we, as we take a look at, at the next chapter in, in our study in the book of Acts tonight. So the, the church then gathered and they had priorities. They established priorities. Remember what their priorities were? Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Teaching, fellowship, koinonia fellowship. Breaking of bread, including the sacrament of communion. 
like always to remember the breaking of bread. Peter quoted from the Old Testament. 
Absolutely. Everything was a clear foreshadowing of the Messiah, and hence we now get to propel ourselves into what Luke is going to tell us happens next, which is the first acts of the apostles and their first interaction with the religious people. Okay? The religious people that were outside of the church. But I think they thought they were the church. And we're going to see what happens. So if you turn to Acts chapter 3. And Susan Rowland has volunteered to stand up because she has such a wonderful voice. And she enunciates so well out of the NIV 1984 version. And the recording will pick it up so nicely. I would like you to read all 26 verses of chapter 3, and then we're going to rip into it. Oh, or, um, okay. Yes. Three. yes. Okay. And just follow along, if you would, in whatever version you have. <laughs> Everybody there? Yeah. Okay. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. <coughs> Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and the righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know is made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. 
Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be pleased. Excuse me, blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Perfect. Done with chapter 3. <laughs> what's going on there? What's, the, what's happening in this, in this section of scripture here? What do, you, what do you see? We see the story. Okay, but what's the theme? Can you pick out a theme that's happening here? It's the first act of any of the apostles. Notwithstanding Peter preaching a message. God's power. God's power. What else do you see happening thematically here? Not actually. We see a guy getting healed, obviously. And we see him jumping around in the temple. We're going to look at that in a minute. But, but what else? What's the theme of what's happening here? Establishing who Christ was. Establishing who Christ was clearly in the second half of what Peter is, is actually preaching in this second message. Mm-hmm. And Peter they have to repent. There's a repentance. There's a call to repentance. Peter's calling out the onlookers. You know, why are you so surprised or amazed? Yes. Why are you so... See, Peter sees opportunity in the story of this beggar. Now, do you think it was a random occurrence that he's going by here and there's this beggar <laughs> that is sitting out in front of the gate and... No, there's nothing random about it. In God's economy, nothing is random. So, we know he wasn't just lucky that day. Because biblically, we know there's no such thing as luck. So, there's adversity. There's a man sitting there that's crippled. And there's opportunity. Because Peter and John, oh, they just so happen to be walking by. <laughs> so, how much time, I wonder, has gone by between the end of chapter 2 that says that, man, they were praising God, this is the church, they were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord had been adding to their number daily those who were being saved. There was a lot going on in this church. There was a lot happening in this first century church. The next thing that happens, we see one day... Whenever that was, I don't know, a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, uh, we don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. So we don't know historically because Luke just kind of skims over that. Mm -hmm. See, Luke is a summarizer in a lot of cases. He sort of summarizes things. He gives us what's important. It wasn't important. I love Scotty. We always have these arguments. Not arguments. We have these discussions. And we talk about things from a hypothetical point of view sometimes. And then we usually come to the same conclusion. Well, it doesn't really matter. It's interesting, but it doesn't really matter. It's not really that germane, right? So the timeline isn't that germane. But let's look at this first recorded act. Because it's John and Peter, right? Okay. So it says in verse 1, One day, Sometime later, I reckon. One day, sometime later, when the church was in pretty full swing, I, I, would, I would suggest, that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. 
The NIV says at three in the afternoon. Somebody else have a different version that says something else? New King James says at the ninth hour. Right out of the box, I'm, I'm, I'm struck with the fact that those folks didn't tell time the same way I do. Wait a minute, how can three in the afternoon be the ninth hour? You see, midnight, to, that would be 9 a.m., right? But it's at, the day started at sunrise. Interesting. Their sundial was off. Interesting, but not really germane to the point, though, is it? But it's interesting. I like that. Historically, it's kind of interesting that these people didn't tell time, nor did they have a calendar like ours. Just different, that's all. Huh? Well, I think the time of day was <clears throat> because it was a time when there were crowds there. That's the point. So if you wanted to, we're not going to tonight because it'll take time, but if you wanted to and you had a pen, you could look at Acts 10. Well, why don't we, we're at Acts anyway. Why don't we just go to the 10th chapter of Acts since we're already there and let's look at Acts 10, 9. Because John said it's relevant because there would have been a lot of people there. Because it was the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And so Acts 10 says, 10, 9 says, mm -hmm. someone? About noon. About noon. <laughs> About noon what? Uh-huh. And what was happening? <laughs> they were on a journey approaching the city, <coughs> the city when Peter went up on the roof to play, pray. And so, and so, if you see that biblically, that's noon. They were gonna, he was going to pray at noon. And if you went to Psalm 55, you would see that they prayed. There was another time in the day that they prayed. That was a sacrifice. That, well, what time? But I'm, I'm just dealing with time. What? Noontime. There was noontime, there was 3 p.m., and there was... Was there? 9, 12, and 3. That was the Jewish tradition at the synagogue in Jerusalem. This is, what's, this is why it's relevant all of a sudden. Because it doesn't seem germane, except in this particular case, hmm... I think it is, and I think, John, you're onto it, because they were praying consistently and regularly by tradition. Remember, this is Christ's blood, the new covenant. But where are John and Peter? At the synagogue. They were going to the temple at the time of prayer. There was a bunch of people there. That's the point. Because there was a time of prayer. They all did it. I like to tell the story of my buddy, uh, Ori Ben Yasser, who, when he comes out here from Boston, he was an Orthodox Jew, not so Orthodox anymore. This is a man that for five years, I like to tell people, for five years he's been meeting once a week with an evangelical pastor in Boston when he's not in Israel, um, because he wants to learn this whole Jesus New Testament thing, because he never, he was forbidden to deal with it when in his Orthodox days. And he's fascinated. He's not a believer yet, but he's still fascinated. Five years this has been going on. Praise God for this pastor who sits with him for an hour every week to teach him the New Testament. And so here they are, these Jews that were very familiar with praying three times a day. And they were at the temple at three in the afternoon. Then what happens, verse 2? There's a crippled man. Now there's a term that's not politically correct anymore. You don't call anybody a cripple anymore, do you? This is what I find. Uh, disabled. Disabled. Yeah. 
What I find amazing about this was that Jesus also approached a crippled man at the temple. But that man, his whole thinking wasn't like this one. It's really an interesting thought. I'm glad you bring that up because you see this man, it says, we're going to see, was there regularly. This is a very short time after Jesus had been going in and out the gate at, that, at this very temple. Is it possible? Now, we don't know. Is it possible it's the same beggar and the same Jesus that, did, that chose not to heal him? It's certainly possible, isn't it, that Jesus might have been right behind. This man was well known. He had been there all the time begging. But John and Peter, together, the apostles, are going to take some action here. And we see it's three in the afternoon, the hour of prayer. And they see this crippled man in verse 2. And he was being carried there every day by somebody. He must have had some real friends. That takes some real commitment to carry a crippled person to the temple every day. Every day. We're going to find out later on that this was happening for 40 years. Forty years this man was crippled and presumably being taken there. Maybe less time, but at least certainly for all of his adult life. And he was put there at the gate called Beautiful. This was his regular spot. I wonder where the gate called Beautiful is because you know, I did a little research because I'm an analytical and I'm trying to find out where the gate called Beautiful is at the temple in Jerusalem. That doesn't exist. That's the craziest thing. I, and I was scratching my head and I'm trying, I'm doing research and I'm studying I, everything that I could find in my own personal library and on the, even on the internet where I, I have trusted sources. And, and it's really interesting. Because what do we know about the temple in Jerusalem? What? It had 12 gates. Yeah, it had lots of gates. Mm-hmm. And it was really big. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, you, you saw the remnants of it. Mm-hmm. There are some, and how big would you say the whole temple area is? Oh, Ernie? It's, it's golly six. <clears throat> Must have be at least two foot. So there they are. They're at the gate called Beautiful. We don't have a clue which one that is. But we do know there were specific gates for specific people that could only come in at specific times. And some were forbidden to come in at all through, through these gates because they, they had them. They were sanctioned, weren't they? And so they sectioned them off. If you were a Gentile, there were places you couldn't go. Same if you were a woman. Same if you were a woman. There were places you couldn't go. The point is, there were a lot of people there. They went to this gate called Beautiful, whichever one that is. 
and, and Luke doesn't tell us. And so it seems there's an official, there's an official name because they have several gates that were, they were, they were given biblical precedence here that they call the name of the gate out. But never do they call it out the gate beautiful until here. And it's not, a, it's not an official gate. It's an unofficial gate. So they have a slang word. Interesting. Not totally germane. But interesting. <laughs> I couldn't find beautiful. It was driving me crazy. I was trying to find it. I'd never really studied that before. So, just a little side note. It was a big place. And he was there for what reason? Pardon me? To beg. To beg. He made his living. And, and what did he expect? He expected money. The man was there begging for money. And when Peter, verse 3, and John were about to enter, he asked them for money. Yeah. And we know why, because that's how he made his living, because he was crippled. <laughs> no, my guess is because the temple was run at the pleasure of Rome. And my guess is that at the pleasure of Rome, there was a temple tax. And my guess is, furthermore, that the tax man was looking after the beggar. Now, that raises a pretty interesting question, because how do you deal with beggars? The guy at the off-ramp. Let me be more specific. Have you had personally to deal with somebody that was, that was, we'll just call it what it is. We'll call it what it's called, begging, okay, um, that was, that was developmentally disabled or crippled or, or, what was the word you used? Disabled. Disabled. Have you had that experience? Mm-hmm. You're, you're describing the exception rather than the rule, and I think you brought up a very important point. Because you, you hear liberal people say if Jesus was alive today, he would be an advocate for the poor. And that's true. Uh-huh. But the lie in that is, in Jesus' day, there was no public education, there was no food stamps, there was no rent subsidies. Uh, there was poverty in America is a choice, unless you're physically or mentally disabled. That's a choice you make. That's interesting, because my notes and say... And I can back that up with, with figures from the Health and Welfare Department. Sure. Uh, sure. So most people that you see at off-ramps are, uh, <clears throat> are people that are either drug-addicted or alcoholics, 83% according to health and, the Health and Welfare Department. Yeah, it's a challenging thing to deal with. And, and do they make their living that way? And was this beggar at the temple making $160,000 a year? Uh, you know, no. we're not told. What we're told is that's not, that's not important. Because, because the Holy Spirit here, through Luke, is about to get to the point of all of this. Because, there, see, there was no social welfare system. There was no other avenue for this for this individual to be cared for. Well, presumably he had friends, I don't know, maybe even family, but we don't know. But they weren't caring for him because they had to carry him to the temple every single day. And and you see, he was there to beg for money. And, and most people that would walk right by three times a day, the same guy, every day, three times a day. And he was, my guess is he was barely eking it out because he, he was a nuisance because he was there so much. He was a nuisance. Sound familiar? Wow. The same guy at the off-ramp mm-hmm. with the same sign mm-hmm. every day. 
I've had that experience. Mm-hmm. Offered to stop and give him something to eat. But people are giving him money. Then I saw him walk across to the to the Arco station where they sell mm-hmm. beer, and he walked back across the street with mm-hmm. a twelve pack of beer. We know that that happens. Yeah. And yet, you know, does God give us a spirit of compassion? Well, we'll see. Because what did John and Peter see in this man? Mm-hmm. The fact that he could be healed. They saw adversity, didn't they? And opportunity. Here's a beggar. Maybe the same guy that Jesus went by. We don't know. We don't know. But they saw adversity, which is a really a condition of suffering, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He was suffering. And you see, this was opportunity for Peter. What did he do? Verse 6. He talked to him. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, I don't have any money. That was real. So I don't have any gold, I don't have any silver, I don't have any coins, I got nothing with Caesar. I got nothing. Monetarily. But he said, what I do have, I give you. And now it begins. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I just said it and it gives me goosebumps. He tells them to walk. And so a couple of questions come to my mind. How about you? Mm-hmm. Any questions come to your mind? They see him. He's begging. I don't know that they've ever seen him before. Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they thought about Jesus going there and seeing him. Maybe they haven't. I, I don't know what they're thinking. I only know what they're doing. What they're doing is, is they're speaking to him saying, I can't give you any money, but I got something else that I'm willing to give you, and so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What was the opportunity? What was the opportunity that they were presented with? With this beggar sitting here. What was the opportunity? To show the power of Jesus Christ. To show the power of Jesus Christ. So, what was it then that they had to give him? Healing. Healing. In the name of, on the authority of, and in the power of, not them, of Jesus. You see, here comes the second sermon. He's starting it already by taking action. This is the act of the apostle. He says, man, I don't have any of the things that you think you need. But I've got something that you really need. But what didn't they do? What didn't they do first? Excuse me? They clearly didn't give him money. What else didn't they do? They didn't preach at him. They didn't give him the four spiritual laws. They didn't say, come to Jesus Christ, pray this prayer, do all this. They didn't do any of that. They looked at him and said, I don't got money, but what I got, I'm willing to give you. That's incredibly powerful because it's backwards to the way we think, isn't it? Isn't it backwards? Don't we want the altar call first? Come, You can come as dirty as you are, because we're all dirty and undeserving, right? You can come, we say, come on up to the altar and accept Jesus Christ after we've given you a nice sermon and we packaged it nice and simply. But they didn't do any of that to this guy. And he was a Jew. And he was crippled. And he was at the temple. And... Hundreds, if not thousands of people would pass by him three times a day. But he had never heard the gospel. And he still hasn't. But what happened? 
got healed. <laughs> he jumped to his feet, it says. Now, I like to think about these kinds of things. Okay? There was no gospel. They didn't explain to him what was going on. They didn't tell, they didn't tell him. They only shared that in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he heard. They heard in the name of Jesus. Now, this is really, because this is a history. This is our history as the church. This is the act of the apostles. His very first supernatural act. All he says is that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the dude got up. It says he did what? He took his right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Clearly his feet and ankles, there was something wrong with his feet and his ankles. He didn't have strength, he couldn't stand, he couldn't walk, he was crippled at his feet and ankles. And it was an instant thing, instantaneously, this happened. As Peter reached for his hand and helped him up, somehow during that process... The healing took place in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ. So the beggar would have had to have known who Jesus was to have had the faith that he could heal. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, what else is significant? Read, read verse 8. Just read it to yourself. He did a couple of things. What were they? He praised God. What else did he do? He went with him. He what? He went with him. He went with him right after he did the first thing. He went into the temple courts. But what did he do very first? He jumped. He jumped. Crippled from birth. See, that's an incredible thing. I think about my, you know, my buddy that that came down and you know we climb around from time to time when I used to be able to fly. Um, uh, Nick Buicic, you know, born without arms, born without legs, and he, you know, he's a he's a jokester, this guy, and so he's always talking about, you know, the closet full of shoes that he has. Yeah. <laughs> he says because hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have feet, so I'm going to be wearing them shoes. But he doesn't know what it's like to walk. He didn't have a clue with legs. He's never dribbled a basketball with his hand. He's never had hands or arms, you know. And he has, a, he has such a wonderful biblical perspective on his life without, with arms and legs. I think about that when I look at this guy because he never walked before in his life. He had no idea what that was like. He was instantly healed in the name of Jesus without the gospel being preached. He jumped up and then when he jumped up, he went into the temple courts with him walking and jumping and praising God. I'll bet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, like, like who wouldn't? Yeah. But that's what he did. And so what's the significance of this verse then? Where are they? And what's this man's background? He's Jewish. He's at the temple. Okay. And what's he doing there? Yeah. No, not now. He's done he's done begging. He's praising God. He's praising God with whom? The apostles. Okay, we can't miss this. It's really significant, I believe, for the history of the church. Peter and John and this beggar who knows nothing except the name of Christ healed him. That Through these two guys, he's clueless. 
I don't see him asking any questions. He's jumping around, hanging out with these two guys in the temple at prayer time, praising God. Do you think that there was a commotion? Holy cow. This was a different prayer time than they've had in a while. That's my guess. That's my guess. And so he's doing all of this with all of these Jews at the temple that had some real specific thoughts about this guy. They all knew him. Isn't that the dude that sits out there on the mat Mm -hmm. at the gate called Beautiful and has his hand out like every day? Ay, ay, ay. But it wasn't an ay, ay, ay. It was a ay, ay, ay. (laughs) They were... That's what it says. In fact, (laughs) I, I, I love this. Because why would the Jews have thought... Think about this. This is the important part about verse 8. Why would the Jews in the temple have thought these astonishing thoughts about this guy running around, jumping around, praising God because he had been a cripple? They'd never seen him in any condition other than being crippled. What would have the Jewish mindset at the temple been about this man that they're now watching, jumping around, praising God? Pardon me? Well, clearly a miracle, but I want you to think about what the negative thoughts might have been from the Jewish community about why this guy was a cripple at the gate. Oh, he's a sinner. Ah, he's a sinner. So, what did you do that got you in this condition? The Jewish mindset. See, a radical flip from this new covenant in, the, in, in Christ's blood. A radical shift is taking place at the temple at this time, the very first act of the apostles. You see, because the Jewish community is looking at this guy saying, what did your parents do? Yeah. Because Now, you're in this condition. You're crippled because of your parents' sin. Or maybe it was your sin. Mm-hmm. See, that was the Jewish mindset. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful, it could be our mindset too, couldn't it? Yeah. Oh, we got to be really careful. That's really important because John 9, 2 says, His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Remember that? Mm-hmm. That, that was just normal for a Jewish mindset. Mm-hmm. For years they've been passing this guy thinking that, Oh, what a sinner that guy is. Man, he is... Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm not as bad as him or I'd be in that condition. Mm-hmm. Remember, Richie always likes to say, you're not bad, you're just bad off. <laughs> oh, he, he must have been bad. I, I, I love that thought because you see, Jesus came to completely change the mindset. And they're in the temple. So here he says, verse 9, when all the people, who by the way were there for prayer, right? Lots of them saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Yeah, I'll bet they were blown away. That's my guess. That's my guess. Blown away. See, the apostles simply seized this opportunity. We're not told, but, but what we are told is that they were going to the temple. Now, I don't know, maybe Peter, who has a big mouth, (laughs) and he likes, (laughs) and we know for sure that he used to stick his foot in on a regular basis, and maybe Peter thought he was going to the temple and he was going to preach again. I'm not sure what his thinking was, we're not told, but this is what we're told. We're told 
that he and John went to the temple because it was the time of prayer. That would have been normal for them too. See? They, were, they didn't totally, completely get the whole freedom in Christ thing that we could pray without ceasing, can't we? We don't have to do it at 9, noon, and 3. We can. But see, that's what they did. That was their tradition. So they were just going to the temple. This was normal for them. But in God's sovereignty, the beggar's there. And remember, these men are filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember? I don't know for how long, and I don't know how long it was after they had been filled with the Spirit, but they were opportunists because God provided the opportunity. And look what they did with it. In the power of the Spirit, they talked to this man about Jesus Christ of Nazareth in his name. Get up and walk. And he did. And he's praising God in the temple. And the apostles are not going to take credit. You know, Bill, I think it had to be supernatural for them to do that. Because, think about this. You go down the main street of town, and there's people all over, and you see a beggar. Are you going to run the risk of, of doing that? I think it was instantaneous. I think they were going there to pray. I think the Holy Spirit descended on them. And they didn't even give it a second thought. It was a command. And they just basically did this. Without question, the apostles were simply about their business that the Lord had instructed them to do. They were just being who they were. Now they're doing it in Christ filled with the Spirit. That's the difference. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in them, equipped them and gave them power that more than likely none of us have. But it's the same Holy Spirit and the same power, not the same gift. But they gave them the gift of healing. And all they did was while they were being just who they are, they ran across this opportunity and they took advantage of the opportunity out of obedience. Because that's what Jesus told them to do. So they just did it. They weren't concerned about what kind of a ruckus it was going to cause. Right. In fact, it was pretty darn dangerous, wasn't it? To do this at the gate? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Well, then to go into the temple. Then to go into the Yeah! They weren't advertising it. This guy was advertising it. So now the Holy Spirit is using this guy. But wait a minute. Is the guy even... See, we get this Christian 21st century mindset. Is the man saved? He's healed. We're not told he's saved. Oh, see? I love this part. See, we can't think like we think today. We've got to look at the history of it. We're not told he's saved. We're told he's healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But here's the next opportunity. Because the man, I mean, there was the adversity. He couldn't walk. He got healed. That's the first opportunity. Here's the second opportunity. Because now Peter
like, like you can't believe. And that's why verse 11 says, while the man held on to Peter and John, how many of the people were astonished? All. See, all still means all in the Greek. And so when it means all, it means that I don't know how many people were in the temple, but this was a 35-acre facility, and all the Jews in Jerusalem were coming to the temple to pray, and it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so what was happening is there was a boatload of people there, and it says all of them were astonished, and all of them came running to them. Oh, yeah, there was some real curiosity seekers right there. See, they were loving this because there was a ruckus like they had never heard before. Like they had never heard before. And so they went to this very specific place in the temple. They came running to them. And now Peter's next opportunity. Don't miss this one either. Because just because Peter has an opportunity doesn't mean that we don't regularly. I always like to, to, to share uh, my sister Brenda um, and her boldness because when she sees an opportunity to preach the gospel, this woman is not bashful. She doesn't care what you think of her when you're preaching the gospel because it's just the truth. And she does it out of what? That's Peter. So Peter takes advantage of the next opportunity and he says what? Because who was the audience, by the way? Jews. They were there to pray. That's a tough crowd. Yeah. Right? Brenda, you... You, you preach the gospel. When it's there. You got to take it. I love that. I love you. Got to take it when it's there, because God puts it before us. And so they were at the they were at the temple. The, the audience was the Jews, and 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 what do you suppose Jesus is going to preach to them now? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you read it. <laughs> He's going to preach Jesus. He says that when Peter saw this, he said to them, "Fellow Israelites." What's the very first thing he does when he, when he preaches to all these Jews? Huh? He identifies himself as one of them. God is amazing. <laughs> he could have used anybody, but no. He uses Peter. And so Peter is one of them. He was going to the temple to pray because it was the time of prayer. And so there's a connection. He gets connected. And then he says something really astonishing to his Jewish friends. Why does this astonish you? Peter wasn't the least bit astonished. <laughs> this man just got up. He was 40 years old. We're going to see later. He was 40 years old, healed. He'd never walked a day in his life. And he's jumping around like a wild man, praising God. And Peter says, why, why are you surprised? That's a crazy question. I think I'd be surprised. <laughs> they had been doing miracles previous to this, too. They had been. Well, and it almost makes it sound like they could tell the difference between how they felt before and now that they have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the end of this, verse 12. Why do you stare at us? As if it's by our own power or godliness that, that this man is, is walking. This is a heavy statement. Because who were they looking at? Peter and John. Because they didn't all hear when he told this man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You see, they didn't hear that. They just saw the commotion of the of the running around and the praising God. 
So now they're praising God. They're, trying, they're, they're really trying to figure this out. They're very curious. We've got a lot of seekers here. A lot of seekers well, here. Well, they also have a lot of magicians or yeah. dark, dark side people that were running around doing stuff too. And they were, and they were trying to figure out. And, and now Peter's going to explain himself. Okay, because that's what he does next. Because that's what... Didn't we need that? <laughs> I mean, thank you, Jesus. You know, we got the New Testament that is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And so now Peter is in the... It, called the synagogue. He's in the temple with a big Jewish audience and he says some very powerful things to them that is going to resonate. Mm-hmm. Verse 13. Mm-hmm. Hey, this God you know... You know the one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That's the God of our fathers. Guys, remember he identified himself as one of us. Yeah. Oh, it gets real personal real quick because what, what were they doing at the temple? Praying. And to whom were they praying? To God. This God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Peter just simply says, hey, you know this God that you're here to pray to? Okay. You know the God of our fathers? Has glorified, and if you're into writing in your Bible, go ahead and circle those next two words. His servant, Jesus. Because Peter's going to give them three wallops upside the head here. The, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant. He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus. You handed him over, second time in a row, in his second sermon. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown, circle this one if you're into circling things in your Bible, the holy and righteous one. He identifies Christ again. These are very important to the Jewish community. He calls them his servant, and then the holy and righteous one. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed, here's the last title for Jesus, the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And here's the big one. Because if they weren't astonished by that, they've got to be sitting there, wait a minute. You're talking about the Messiah we're waiting for. <coughs> You're saying that this Jesus, that mm-hmm. all the, the one that in the name this guy's running around praising God because he's healed in the name of Jesus. And you're saying that this Jesus was a servant of God, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the one we've been waiting for. And you're witnesses of it. And it's in this power, in this name, that this is taking place in our temple? Do you see the significance of that? This is huge. At least to this audience, it's huge. He preaches Jesus, calls him by three different names that would have distinguished him as the Messiah and God. (laughs) (laughs) The Messiah and God. See... Now, I'm just kind of built this way. So, I wanted to go figure this out just a little bit. I needed to go just a little bit deeper. And so, first he calls him his servant. Has glorified his servant. God, the one that you're here to worship, has glorified his servant Jesus. 
That's the title that was given to the very Messiah that they were looking for, right? Hmm. And they've been told in detail about this Messiah that they've been waiting for. Starting in Isaiah, Isaiah had a lot to say about this Messiah. The Old Testament points to him, and sometimes the pointing isn't as clear as we would like to, to have it if we are a Jew. But I'll tell you what, if you're a Jew and you read this in the New Testament, then you go back and you read Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 52, and 53. Read all those chapters, and if you come away from that not seeing that the Messiah, his servant, Jesus Christ, is who Isaiah is talking about, you're missing something. Yeah. But they had missed it, hadn't they? Jesus quoted Isaiah many Jesus times. Many times. Yeah. For that very reason. The prophet Isaiah was pointing to me, Jesus is, is saying in, in, in some cases. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. And then the holy and righteous one, are you kidding? They knew exactly who they were talking about. Because that particular, we, we see that all throughout the New Testament, of course, that, that, which they didn't have yet. <laughs> Okay. See, we, we get that, but they didn't get that yet. But this, this Messiah that he's talking about, the Holy and Righteous One, uh, is seen throughout the Old Testament. And I just, in my study, I just wrote just a few of them down. In Second Kings, in Job, in Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and Habakkuk. Those are the places that I found this specific reference to the Holy and Righteous One, pointing to Jesus Christ. The one he just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Now, to a Jew, this is heavy-duty stuff. Mm-hmm. Because they were either going to take these two apostles out behind the barn and kill them, yeah. Yeah. or they're going to be going, what? 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 It's powerful. See, they didn't run. I don't see anywhere where the, where the Jews in the temple were running. They were listening to what these guys were saying. That's a supernatural thing. Supernatural act of God. Mm-hmm. Right there in the temple at this time. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the, the last title that... that, that that Peter uses for Jesus is the author, or in some trans- of your translations it will say the prince, but the author or the prince of life. Huge, huge, huge. Because that word in the Greek means chief leader. So, Peter just called Jesus their chief leader. The Messiah. <laughs> oh, man. This is big time stuff for these Jews here. Yeah. And so why do, you, why do you suppose he used those three titles? He could have just said, Jesus is the Messiah, and that's the, you know, we're healing in the name of Jesus. Why did, he, why did he use all three of those titles? They wouldn't miss it. They wouldn't miss it. You talk about driving it home. Mm-hmm. Did he have credibility from the healing? You better believe it. But now he's driving home the point from their own scriptures. Right. See, it wasn't necessary yet. Not for this crowd. It wasn't necessary. Wow. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see. See what he says next? Verse 16. By faith. Now we see what happens to this guy that's running around praising God and and is healed. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Well, something went on with this guy beyond just getting a free ticket. He was more than a free ticket. He got that he, somehow. We're not told exactly how. The four spiritual laws weren't preached. He wasn't handed a track. There was none of that stuff that went on like we tend to want to 
we're used to, you know, in the modern church, if you will. No, he was healed in the name of Jesus. He didn't have a clue how that worked. He just got up and ran around like a chicken with his head cut off. And all he knew was it was in the name of Jesus. And now in verse 16, we see that Peter is saying, listen, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man was named, made strong. And it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. So, there's Jesus, there's faith, there's the authority. We see authority, we see healing, and then we see proof. Right before their eyes. See, their eyewitnesses, this was all happening, right? They were there. I, I love that. What was really interesting is he was speaking to the crowd at large. He had seen this miracle, but he was directing it directly at the Pharisees and the priests. Yes. And they had to be intimidated. They probably yeah. wanted to kill both of them, but they knew if they touched them, yeah. the crowd would, uh, yeah, would lose them. Yeah, well, you know, this whole next chapter that we're going to get into is a is a is like the big kahuna because Peter is going to be faced with dealing with 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 the, the temple guard and the Sanhedrin and, and the Sadducees and, and all of that, and we're going to see what happens. There's some real conflict that's going to come up. But the point is, is that we're we're taking a slow approach to this right now because this is the foundation of our history, mm-hmm. of our church. You see, this is what God did. And so we see that in this next verse it says that, that now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. See, Peter just lets him off the hook all of a sudden. They didn't know. Well, how can you know what you don't know? You can't know what you don't know. They didn't know. And so he called them out earlier, but then he lets them off the hook. And he says, listen, I know you acted in ignorance, but check out what you're checking out. No. Mm-hmm. Is it reasonable to think that some of the people in that crowd possibly heard Jesus preach? It's highly likely, yes. And did something about it at that time. They were... They were so rooted in their in their Jewish traditions, and they were following the law. They were good, obedient Jews to follow the law. They had not they had not taken up their cross to follow Jesus. They had it's just a choice, just a decision that they they could have made. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I believe personally. I don't know this. I can't I can't support it. I gotta believe that a lot of these people in this temple knew exactly who Jesus was. He's just telling them that he's the Messiah. And it's in his name and his power that this is taking place. This is the proof of it. You know, faith in Jesus by authority. Look at the healing. Here's the proof of it. So if you weren't convinced before what all these pressure off. Because it's kind of a heavy message. Hey, you killed the Messiah. What? I didn't do it. It was Pilate and all them other guys. No, you're, you're, you know, you're, I'm one of you, remember? It was us. See, there's the church. See, we put Jesus there. It was our sin. That's all I was telling you. See, we're no different. We're the same. Then he tells them the most important thing that they could do. Repent. 
Just repent. Turn around. You see, because all the stuff that's happening is a flip around the other side from what they were used to. They're scratching their head because it's just kind of like the opposite of, of the law that they knew they couldn't fulfill anyway. They broke the law every day when the whole point of the law was to let them know that they were a sinner. Now, all of a sudden, he said, listen, I'm going to let you off the hook. You were ignorant. It was God's plan that had to be fulfilled that Jesus Christ even went through all of that for you. So just repent. In verse 20, then that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you. Now, it gets really personal. That's how Brenda preaches. She makes it personal. Does Jesus... Just, just repent. It's not that hard. Because Jesus died for your sins. You're just a sinner. You're totally unworthy. Nobody's worthy. Huh. And he tells him, just this Christ who was appointed for you. He's doing this in the temple. We can't, we can't miss that. Then he says something really crazy. He says in verse 21, He, who's the He? Jesus. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as He had promised long ago through His holy prophets. What in the world is Peter talking about? The second coming. If you're a Jew, what is Pete, what is what do you... If you try to be a Jew right now in the temple in the first century, and Jesus said, hey, I mean, Peter says, hey, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. What were the Jews waiting for? And what was the Messiah going to do? Restore everything. But see, they didn't get the restoration. They thought he was going to restore what? Their kingdom on earth. Well, they almost had it. They got close. Because what's Jesus going to do when he comes? He's going to restore his kingdom. <laughs> his kingdom. Not theirs. You see, it was all about them. They just missed that part. And so do Christians. As, we get, as, we, as it becomes about us, we miss it. And as soon as it's not about us at all, and as soon as it's about Jesus, then all of a sudden, all the stuff that we're dealing with, we can unload, can't we? Because it's about Jesus. It's not about us. Because then, that's our adversity. We're none of us crippled. But everybody sitting in this room has got something. Every one of us. We're carrying something around. We're sinners. And we're, we're, we, don't, we don't mingle like we should. We're, we're not koinonia we're not in fellowship and in the church like we should be. Maybe that's the burden we're carrying. It's something. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's something. Because nobody's perfect. Well, except Ernie. <laughs> but, but you see what he's trying to what he's trying to convey here? He said, You see, this is the Messiah. It's the power of the Messiah. It's it's the I mean, this is supernatural what's happening. You guys have been waiting for this. And here's the proof. It's right here happening in front of you at the temple. If you didn't believe Jesus, as Olivia said, all those people, a lot of them saw Jesus and what he did. And they heard him talk. Or they talked to somebody who did, who was an eyewitness of seeing what Jesus did. I mean, Jerusalem wasn't that big a place. And so, and so here, this is all happening. And he's just simply reminding them of their prophetic Heritage. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. This is your heritage. The Messiah. Don't miss it. Mm-hmm. 
That's all he's really saying. And the Holy Spirit is proving it up. And he's using Peter and John. That's nuts. You see, because that's the covenant. That's the new covenant. The same new covenant for God's chosen people, the Jews, and every Gentile. Because you see, there were Gentiles there at the temple too. They weren't allowed through some of the gates, but there were Gentiles there. But most of them were Jews. And so, he finishes off this sermon by telling them what Moses had said. That the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Boom! Points to Jesus again. He's preaching Jesus. You must listen to everything Jesus tells you. Well, they weren't, because if they were listening to everything that Jesus would have been telling them, they wouldn't have run over there to see what the heck was going on. They would have already been part of the 120 or the 3,120. But wait, let's see what happens next. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold of these days. He's just telling them the truth of what they should have already known, right? Sound familiar? We do that with the New Testament. Oh my gosh, I should have already known that. I learn something all the time now. As, 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 as the Spirit reveals things to us, we can't know it all. It's impossible. That's a beautiful thing about, about our maturing in the faith. It's never going to end. It will never end. And then he says that you're, you're heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. Just preaching it, man. I love this guy. He's just preaching it. And then he says in verse 26, when God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you. The whole thing is personal. It's very personal. He sent this Jesus first to you. Hmm. So now Jesus is preached by Peter to everybody in the temple. And there's a proof, right? Pretty good message, huh? <laughs> What's interesting is this, that Jesus used Peter after Peter had denied him. And he used him. I am so... You know, that is a message of encouragement. It gives me hope. I can be such a buffoon sometimes. And to think that God could use any one of us right. for his purposes, for any one of us, he could use. I mean, that's a supernatural thing in and of itself, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because don't you often think, who am I? And yet, we ought to be, instead of thinking, who am I, which is very natural for us, right. we ought to be thinking, God, here I am. Messiah being preached here in the temple. And he was a Jew. He was just healed. 
You think maybe he was converted that day? I think so. I think that he heard about the atonement of Christ. I think he heard about forgiveness of sin. I think he heard about repentance. He heard the gospel because Peter was a good preacher of the gospel. Like every good message in every church on any Sunday, we ought to be preaching Jesus, right? If Jesus isn't in the message, I think you should raise your hand and say, Why wasn't Jesus in the message? What are we here for? I mean, that's, that was powerful when he was listening to this. So, he heard all of that. So, I wonder what happened to that guy. Yeah. He probably became a follower. <sighs> See, sometimes it's what's not in the scriptures that fascinates me. This guy went through this whole thing, listened to the message, was hanging around with Peter and John, trying to figure out, ooh, let me see, the name of Jesus, power, Messiah, repentance. I'm healed, man. I mean, I'm healed. As Lois would say, hallelujah! <laughs> right? That's, that's his guy. And then poof! We're not told another thing about him. He disappears into oblivion. We don't have the slightest idea. <laughs> we can ask him, can't we? <laughs> yeah. If we get introduced to him in heaven. So, I just God wonder what gives us what we need to know. He gives us what we need he to know. What we need to know. And all of this, I believe, is a message of adversity and opportunity and taking advantage of what God puts before us just naturally based on who we are in Christ. And again, ought to be just as natural as us breathing. And we, we, we speak about Christ, our Savior, like it's, like it's, it's a no-brainer. Because it's a no-brainer. <laughs> And so, what, what is the application of the principles that are taught in, in, in these scriptures here? It's an adversity and opportunity in the form of a crippled man that was healed in the first century by a supernatural gifting that is not certainly normative today. But it certainly was. God had used it during this dispensation to, to grow the church, right? So, how is that applicable to our life? We should step out like Peter did. Amen, sisters. Let's go home. We should step out like Peter did. There was the opportunity. Don't pass it by. Don't pass it by. That's all Peter did. He just took advantage of the opportunity. Then who provided? God provided the opportunity. Holy cow, I studied this and I'm thinking, how many opportunities did I walk by? Yeah. Yeah. I think he teaches this too. Just listen to the stereo, still small voice, all the time, rather than just in those loud moments, which are very few. You're right. And there's one other thing, Sally, because I think you nailed it. We need to be open to the opportunity that God puts before us. Sometimes I'm pretty tunnel visioned. Okay, Lord, help me. Not be so myopic. Okay? But now personalize it. What do you do when the help you need, like the beggar, goes well beyond any human intervention? You've got to think. What you say? Thank God. What did you say, Bill? The question is. Now, instead of depersonalizing it by saying, 
we should be more open to the opportunities God puts before us in terms of application. Now, personalize it. What do we do when we're the one that needs help, like the beggar, that goes well beyond any human intervention or any human ability? Oh, that's a much tougher question, isn't it? Is it? Well, it's easy to say we just need to ask for help from God, but we always try to do it ourselves. Oh, yeah. So Diana kind of said, "Well, what? Just just turn to the Lord. Always get your nose in the Word and let Him speak to you. Get your no- get into the Word of God, so the Word of God will get into you. Yeah, okay. And then pray like a like a Comanche. I don't know what that's like, but pray without ceasing. The Bible says, right? And so what does that mean? Is he going to heal you of some adversity that you have if you're praying and you're in God's will and you're asking him for help that goes beyond anybody in this room's gifting to, to help us with? What happened? The beggar was begging for 40 years. He was 40 years laying there. Not necessarily so. It's God's will, but he's always got something better for us. If his answer is no or not, yeah, he's always got something better. Interesting. Mm-hmm. See, because I, I think that the Jews that were in the temple that day at prayer time that witnessed all of this, first of all, were exposed for the very first time in a very dramatic way for the proof of the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. The man that was healed who had been laying there, presumably as a Jew, praying to the same God that all of those other Jews were going into the temple to pray to, maybe, maybe he never prayed once for healing from his being crippled. Maybe all he ever prayed for was enough money. I don't know what he prayed. We're not told that. I mean, but that's a powerful thought to think about it because when you personalize it, the question still remains, what do you do when the help you need goes beyond the ability of any human interaction. You don't have to answer that question right now, but it's a wonderful question to ponder biblically and scripturally as we think about the things that we're afflicted by. There's not a person in this room that isn't afflicted by something. A relationship, a difficulty of some kind, um, physical, I mean, uh, you know, none of us is getting any younger. I mean, there's all this stuff that's going on in our life. I think you have to keep in mind that our name is written in heaven. Okay, and nothing on earth will surpass. Our name is written in heaven. So whatever happens here on earth is so minor compared to what's happening. Mm -hmm. Great perspective and biblical, right? John? Well, if he had been if praying all those years, he had to have faith that mm-hmm. it would happen. And, and then, that, then it did happen. Well, Peter says that he had faith after. After, he had after, for so, sure. But before, we don't know. We don't know. But we know that that was the result. Yeah. So somehow he came to faith. I hope to shout. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know how you could not come to faith after that, but we're told that he did. That's right. John? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, for me... What makes sense to me is when I'm in intercessory prayer asking for a specific thing, whether it's healing in our nation or relationships with my daughter or whatever, it's 
I will ask, but I will ask ask it that whatever God's answer is, that is to His glory. Mm-hmm. And I claim it in the name of Jesus Christ for His glory, not for not for what it's going to do for me. Because you know, if we believe Galatians two twenty, we've been crucified with Christ Jesus for us. I that no longer lives, but Christ Jesus lives in me. Then everything we ask for is for His glory, not Amen. for our convenience. Amen. Amen. And and if you'll couple that with what what Scotty Rowland just said in terms of understanding that our name is 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 written in the book of life, our name is written in heaven. That's where we're going. We're not from here. This is so temporary. I don't care how long we think these things last. We get so caught up in the circumstances of our life that are oh we're all we get all twisted up, don't we? And what we see here is that God used this event as the first act of the apostles to show his mercy and his To the glory of God, regardless of the circumstance you're in, if you're laying on the mat in front of the temple, if you have relational difficulties and problems, or if whatever the case might be in our life, all to the glory of God, you see. And that's the first act of the apostles. And then it just explodes from here. The reason it explodes is, you see, this is all good news. Hang on for, verse, or for chapter 4. Because Peter and John are going to go right to the lion's den. Because they're going to go next week. Read chapter 4 if you want to get... Because there's some exciting things that happen. And you want to see another supernatural act of God. Read chapter 4 slowly and in detail. And we'll talk about it next week when we see what happened when the religious elite tried to squish the church. And see what God does with that. It's powerful, powerful. Because now the foundation for the history of our church, the church that is Christ's church, we now have in three chapters in Luke's history book, the foundation. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to see really what happens because, man, it cranks up like they, t- they take it to like a 10 mm-hmm. next Wednesday. 